Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about One Night in Miami by Kemp Powers, adapted from his play. Um, And if you haven't seen it yet, One Night in Miami is uh, about a fictional evening um, between Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, and Sam Cooke. And it's an interesting movie to look at for several reasons. And I think the biggest one is that it starts out and it doesn't look like it's going to be particularly good. And yet it ends up taking us to a place of deep and transformative emotional power. Um, It ends up taking us to a place of great political power. Um, and, And it ends up fusing its political message with an emotional message, um, which is really what we all strive for when we're making political films, right? We're all striving to move an audience, not just to uh, affect their intellect, but to actually move them emotionally in, in relation to a topic. And, and the way that we do that is by allowing them to see themselves in a character and move them on a journey just like that character is going through. So it's an emotional move that actually creates the political power of a political film. It it starts with a scene um, that is extremely long and extremely flat. Um, Jim Brown, um, potentially on his way to Miami, it's not quite clear, has stopped off at the house of a white family friend. And he has an extraordinarily long conversation with his white family friend on the front porch of the Southern Gentleman's house. And the conversation is problematic for a lot of reasons. The the first is nothing is happening. Um, And when I say nothing is happening, what I mean is Jim Brown doesn't want anything from his white friend. He's simply stopping by. And similarly, the white friend doesn't want anything from Jim. He's simply chatting him up. Uh, If anybody wants something, it's the white friend's daughter who just wants to be in the company of this legend. Uh, But even her want really gets attenuated. And what the scene ends up doing is what a lot of not-so-successful scenes do is it ends up being a setup scene for the audience. Now, there is an incredible line at the end of the scene that is absolutely devastating. Because what you watch is uh, a very long scene where this white man is so, so, so nice to this black man. It is so kind to him, is so lovely to him. And Jim Brown is so nice and so lovely to his white friend, his white family friend. And they get to the end of the scene. Um, And for reasons that are not exactly clear, uh, the daughter pops up and says, hey, dad, are you going to help me with that furniture? And why exactly the daughter who just wants to be in the company of this legend, Jim Brown, is interrupting her dad's meeting to move a piece of furniture is not particularly clear. But it's really there as a setup, right? Um, Because we're going to find out that this white man who has seemed so nice, if there's ever anything I can do for you, so lovely, so caring... Uh, so non-racist is not going to allow a black man into his house because when Jim offers to help move the furniture, um, 
in very strong terms that I, I won't repeat here, he's told that he can't come inside. And so this is a very important scene, right? It's a very important scene uh, because it sets the world of the piece, right? This world of not subtle racism, not microaggression, not, not saying one thing and doing another, but this overt, aggressive racism hidden under this very sweet Southern charm veneer. Um, so it's an important scene because it sets a world that maybe we're a little bit less familiar with. Um, and it helps you understand the political circumstances out of which these conversations between Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Sam Cook are actually happening. So it's a vital scene for the piece. But it's not a very effective scene until you get to that end. In fact, if you wrote a scene like that at the beginning of your script, it's likely that no one's ever going to get to that great one-liner at the end because they're going to end up going, ah, this doesn't really work. And why doesn't it work? It doesn't work for such a simple reason, which is Jim doesn't want anything. And his white friend doesn't want anything. And there's no obstacle. So their conversation is just a conversation setting up information for the audience, right? It's just pure exposition. It's just pure setup. And, and that's basically what the first 10 minutes of this film is. We get set up with Muhammad Ali. We get set up with Jim Brown. We get set up with Malcolm X. We get set up with Sam Cooke, right? We're basically just getting all this set up. Now, the setup with Sam Cooke works a little better um, for the exact reason that the setup with Jim Brown doesn't work very well. Jim Brown doesn't want anything. He doesn't want anything from the white guy that he is talking to. And the white guy that he's talking to doesn't want anything from him. There's no reason for him to be there. And because there's no reason for him to be there, the scene doesn't drive forward and the exposition feels clunky. We can feel the writer going, you need this information and you need this information and you need this. Oh, did you know that Jim Brown was famous? Did you know he's a hero even for white people? Did you know how many yards he's rushed for? Do you know he's a football player? Do you know what the racism of the time is like, right? They're setting up that world, but they are not setting forward the drama. And so when you think about exposition, when you think about exposition, Think about it as something you do along the way, right? If you think of your movie like an awesome road trip, the exposition is something you do in the car. It's not something you do while you're packing, right? And the way that you do that is simply by animating the scene with a want, right? Imagine if Jim Brown showed up because he needed a place to sleep. Imagine if Jim Brown showed up because he wanted um, an old keepsake that, um, that his white friend was keeping for him. Imagine if Jim Brown showed up because he needed some advice on his next step in his career. Imagine if Jim Brown showed up for any reason. And similarly, imagine if his white friend had a purpose in inviting him there. Um, or wanted to get back to moving his furniture. Imagine if his white friend had an action and a desire. What would happen is, rather than feeling expositional, the scene would feel dramatic. So One Night in Miami is not a perfect film, right? It's got those little clunky moments at the beginning that are 
actually a little bit old-fashioned. It used to be okay to start a movie like this. Um, You know, we used to think about the first 10 minutes of a film as set up. But we just can't do that anymore. We just can't spend time setting up anything anymore because our readers and even our audiences are just too likely to click, right? They're just too likely to click to the next show. They're too likely, if we don't engage them from the very beginning, they're too likely to just move on. So outside of that little quibble, now let's talk about why One Night in Miami works so damn well. And it's a good lesson, which is to show you that even if you've got a problem in your script, it's transcendable. Um, And the reason that One Night in Miami transcends is because of a very, very simple concept, which is that every single one of these characters has a secret. And their secret complicates the political message of the piece. Um, And this is one of the mistakes that people make when they are writing issue movies, which One Night in Miami gladly does not make. Um, The mistake that many writers make is they get up on their soapbox and they start preaching. And if you get up on your soapbox and you start preaching and you write one-dimensional characters who are all good or all bad, who are just embodiments of a simplified belief about how people should live their lives, what you're going to end up with is only preaching to the choir. Um, And there's nothing wrong with preaching to the choir, but quite frankly, the choir is not who needs your help. If you're making a movie about racism, right, you don't need to preach to the people who are already deeply aware of racism. Um, you have to preach to the people who maybe are not. And so what's really fascinating is each of these characters has their own journey in relation to the racist world that they live in, and they all have a secret, Um, a secret that they're keeping from each other and maybe even a secret that they're keeping from themselves. Um, Malcolm X's secret is that he is going to leave the Muslim Brotherhood that he has come to believe that this movement that he so values, that he's dedicated his life to, is led by a corrupt person. And he wants to start his own movement, but leaving ain't going to be easy. And it's a secret because it risks all the political progress that he's made. So he wants to leave the movement and he needs to recruit his friend Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali. He needs to recruit his friend Cassius to the cause in order to actually successfully leave the Muslim Brotherhood and potentially continue his life's work. So there's a complicated secret there, right? Which is Cassius has basically promised at the beginning of the movie that if he wins the title, he is going to convert to Islam. This is the day that Cassius Clay is going to become Muhammad Ali. He's made that promise, and he wins the title. And part of Muhammad Ali's secret from himself is that he doesn't necessarily even believe he's actually going to win the title. But there's an even deeper secret underneath that that big blustery ego of Muhammad Ali, of Cassius Clay. There's an even deeper secret, which is that he's not sure if he really wants to convert if he really wants to give up drinking, if he really wants to change every aspect of his life, he's not sure if he actually wants to convert. And so Malcolm X is playing this complicated game, which is a secret both from himself and from Cassius Clay, because the story he's telling himself as a character is, 
I am fighting for Cassius Clay's soul, and I am fighting for the soul of the black man. I am working as Cassius Clay's spiritual mentor in his best interest because I love him and care about him as a friend, and that is true. But there's also a secret. There's another aspect of it, which is I am manipulating my friend into something that he might not really be ready to do because I absolutely need him. I need the power of his reputation to make this move out of a corrupt organization and to continue my work on my own. So you have this very complicated relationship between the two of them. If you add Sam Cooke to the mix, Sam Cooke has an even more complicated secret. So he has a completely different way of dealing with racism, right? So you've got, uh, you've got Malcolm X, who has answered the problem of racism by living by a very intense code. It's not about having fun and partying like some of his friends. It's not about making money like some of his friends. It's not about about sports success. It's not about becoming a celebrity. It's not about integrating with the white man. It is about empowering black men in the ways of Islam. It is about uh, a militant fight for change. And it is about living by a rigid set of codes which he does not want to violate. Muhammad Ali has responded to the same problems through bluster, through big talk, by being a celebrity, um, but also by going on a personal journey into Islam, trying to understand who he really is, and warring with the two parts of himself, the part of himself that feels accepted, and the part of himself that knows that he's not, the part of himself that is revered, and the part of himself that knows that he is not. Sam Cooke Sam Cook has told himself a lie as well. Sam Cooke has a secret from himself. Sam Cooke's lie is that if you want to overcome racism, you got to play the white man's game. You need money. And that he has dedicated his life to making money, to owning things, to being able to produce black artists by making money, by playing within the system. So that's how he's responded to the problem of racism, playing within the system, becoming the best of the best, getting to the top of the billboard charts, creating the music that they want to hear. There's a secret which he's not admitting to himself, which is from the very first scene, which is number one, they are never, ever, ever going to really accept him. But number two, the deeper secret is that there's a part of him that wants to be Bob Dylan. There's a part of him that wishes he wrote a song like Bob Dylan's song, the one that Malcolm X will play for him. There's a part of him that wishes he was speaking his truth instead of the lovely love songs that white people want to hear. So you have Sam Cooke, who has a lie to himself and to others, which is, I'm just fine. I'm playing the game and I'm winning. When underneath there's this feeling that I wish I could say what I really feel. I wish I could find my voice. And finally, you have Jim Brown. And Jim Brown's secret is even more complicated. 
Because what Jim Brown wants is to party and get laid and be a movie star. Jim Brown is the most celebrated football player in the world. He is, he is a living hero. And his secret is he doesn't want to play football anymore. But his other secret is, and his answer to dealing with racism is, he doesn't want to fight. He wants an easier life. He wants to party. He wants to become a movie star, right? And so you have these four different characters with four completely different ways of dealing with the problem of racism. And where they start, none of these four characters are honoring their own voice. None of these four characters is being 100% true to themselves. Cassius Clay has not told Malcolm X Cassius Clay has not told Malcolm X that he's not sure about Islam. Malcolm X hasn't told Cassius Clay or any of his friends that he's thinking about leaving the nation and that he is maybe to some degree manipulating Muhammad Ali, manipulating Cassius to get what he wants. So what you have are four characters who seem to be the biggest voices in America. But none of them are actually expressing their true voice. You have four characters who have four different answers to the problem of racism that are mutually exclusive and none of which are totally correct. So you have four characters bouncing up their truths and their lies against each other. Malcolm X has not told Cassius Clay that, yes, okay, I am your spiritual advisor, but I also need something from you and I might be manipulating you to get it. And Cassius Clay hasn't told his spiritual advisor, hey, I don't know if I want to give up drinking and partying. I don't know if I want to become a Muslim. And, and Sam Cooke has not admitted even to himself that there's a part of him that wishes he wrote that Bob Dylan song, that wishes he could just say what he wants to say. And Jim Brown has not admitted to his friend that he doesn't want to fight the fight. He doesn't even want to play football anymore that he wants the easy life and the fun career. So you have these four characters who are all strong voices, but who are not speaking their full truth. And the journey is so simple, which is that these four characters end up finding their voice. Malcolm X has to tell the truth to his friends and to himself, that he's leaving the brotherhood. And Cassius has to realize that he may have been manipulated. Cassius Clay has to come to terms, not with the ideal mentor, but the flawed one that's actually before him, and still decide that he is going to come out as Muslim and rename himself, not for himself, but for his friend. Jim Brown is going to end up leaving football and getting his career making cheesy action movies. But the big emotional journey happens through Sam Cooke. The big emotional journey happens through Sam Cooke. And it builds through a tremendous structure of pressure. As we watch Sam try to hold on to the lie that he can be accepted in the face of the reality. It's the action we see him make in that very first scene when he goes to perform for the white people in his dream venue and they don't want to hear him play. 
He, we watch him hold on. We watch him fight with his friends. We watch him argue. We watch him battle. We watch him refuse to admit the truth. And then we watch those walls get broken down for him until he has to admit the truth, that he wishes that he had written that song, that he wishes he had expressed the true emotions that he and his people have fighting still in this world of racism. And what the whole movie builds to is such an incredibly powerful moment. We get to the very end and Sam is on The Tonight Show. And there's a small spoiler ahead. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet, this might be the time to tune out. Uh, we get to this beautiful moment where he's on The Tonight Show and he is singing one of his perfect love songs. And you, as the audience, tell yourself this story about, oh, he went back to trying to tell himself the lie. But at the very end of the film, he plays one more song. And it's his real song. And what you watch is a man find his voice. And this is what's so beautiful about One Night in Miami, not just as an emotional movie, but as a political movie. Because this is a movie about a people who have been robbed of their voice. Wrestling not in one unified way, but in the complex, messy way that we're still wrestling today. Wrestling for this very, very simple idea of finding their true voice. Of empowering themselves enough to say what they actually feel. And in this way, One Night in Miami is a little window, a little window for any audience to understand what it's like to be robbed of your voice, to understand that, that the battle against racism is not a simple battle, right? It's not a simple unified idea that it's a complex complex struggle. But at the center of it is a very, very simple idea, which is just having the courage to tell our truths. And of course, this is the journey of being a writer as well. This is the challenging journey of being a writer, which is, are we going to tell the things, tell the stories, write the formulas that we believe people want to hear or are we going to tell our truths? Are we going to sing our real songs? Are we going to write our real words? Are we going to have the courage to find our voices? And if we do, it's my belief that those voices have an incredibly transformative effect, not just on ourselves, but upon our entire society. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to study with me, in addition to our free classes every Thursday night, there is a new way to study with me. It's my master class. Um, so if you've already taken the Write Your Screenplay or the Write Your TV series class, this is the next step. It is an ongoing class. It meets one Sunday a month. And what we do each class is we go really, really deep into one aspect of screenwriting. Um, each topic in the class grows out of the questions and concerns and the writing of the students in it. And because it's an ongoing class, 
It attracts a group of deeply committed writers, serious writers, who want to go on a journey, not over a month, but over a year or more. Uh, if you would like to join the masterclass, you can find it on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash masterclass.